0: Do you want to win back 13 to 37 hours of your week every single week? If you do, uh, please join us. We are going to be teaching the foolproof method to identifying the bottleneck in your business and teaching you how to resolve it. We're going to teach you all about our three epiphanies around systems. Mike, where can people learn more and tell them about the the program? Well, you're going to want to go to
1: AutomateDelegateSystemize.com and you will learn our three epiphanies, which is automation sequencing, how to delegate and use a virtual assistant, and how to step back as a CEO using strategic retreat. So again, go to AutomateDelegateSystemize.com. That's AutomateDelegateSystemize.com
2: and get more information now. I want to make every employee take a month off of work a year in a block because then you can build systems around what they do. Because if you have any employee leave for a month, I mean, anyone listening to this, if you have a business, there's one person in your business right now that you're thinking about, they go, oh my God, if they take off for a month, we're doomed, right? (laughs) It might be yourself, it might be your secretary. If there's always one person, there's one person in my business that takes a month off, I'd be doomed. That was me too, so guess what? okay, let's face our fears, let's overcome them. Let's say, okay, guess what? Office manager, you get June off. You can't come to the office, you can't reply to emails, you can't answer your calls. We'll call you once a week with an update if you want us to, and we'll give you a list of questions that we have in that amount of time. But until then, we need everything SOP'd. I wanna have a VA over your shoulder, on your computer, watching everything you do and taking notes and building SOPs. If they can build a standard operating procedure for everything you do, not because I wanna replace you, not because your job is in jeopardy. Hell, I wanna give you a 50% raise every year if I could, that gets the goal, but it just creates so much more cohesion and peace...
1: Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. We are here today with Eric Farewell. And this is a really fun conversation because we have not had someone who has such an ability to navigate risk, quite like Eric Farewell. This was a really fun conversation. We get into topics of self-control and we talk about business. We talk about his passion for flying. And I thought it was really fun that he lives like 90 minutes away from me. he lives in Lake Wales versus Tampa. He's like, oh yeah, instead of driving to Tampa, I just take my plane and he flies from... Lake Wells of Tampa. So instead of it taking 90 minutes, it takes him 11 minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's really fantastic. We have a great conversation about core values, about hire and firing staff, how he does it properly. And if you don't know Eric Farewell, he's a lifelong entrepreneur. He has a great book called Farewell to Normal, The Transformational Guide to Adventure, Excitement and Personal Happiness. He has been in business. He started working when he was at seven years old. Uh, his first successful business was 13 years old. In 2011, he launched a business in an an impossibly small niche. And using a very specific blueprint, they became the 500 pound gorilla in the industry, bringing in millions of dollars each year while building systems and hiring the right people that allowed it to grow while he now works less than three hours a week. And uh, he says in this episode that he's looking to join a community that is only at $15 million in order to join the communities. So that's where he's at on the spectrum of wealth, which is pretty exciting. And he has spent the last 20 years in constant physical pain after breaking. His back twice and just emotional pain after losing his brother and countless friends, but refuses to fall victim and be prey to any of the circumstances. Uh, his sister recently, a quadriplegic. It's just fascinating to see how he navigates life. He is uh, married for 14 years, he has th- his three children, and in his spare time, he is one of the top leaders in an entrepreneurship organization and a great friend in the Front Row Dad community. So get ready for another great conversation with Eric Farewell on the Better Than Rich. Show. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you
2: to become better than rich.
0: All right, Eric, welcome to the show, man. How are you today?
2: I'm glad to be here, man. I've got construction happening outside, so if you hear random beeping or giant implements, they're making concrete today. You never know what you're gonna hear in the background.
0: (laughs) No worries. I'm sure it'll be great. And we like to just roll with the punches here on the Better Than Rich shows. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Obviously, I have Mike here with me as well. And, you know, we're just excited to have a cool conversation. I would love to kick things off and kind of start with one of the more interesting elements of your story. I know it's this part of your life to this day, but aviation and being up in the sky and being a pilot and all these different things. This journey of yours and even racing and being on the racetrack and this interest with mechanics it's not something that everyone can relate to. But it's something that I was really inspired when I heard your story, because I can tell that's just such a passion of yours. I'd love for you to maybe kick things off. Like, how did you get into this? And why do you enjoy it so much? Why is it such a passion of yours?
2: Yeah, sure. I think at the heart of all of it is that I'm addicted to anything that goes vroom. And that's part of why I'm so incredibly torn on electric vehicles, because I miss the noise. (laughs) But I love things that go fast. I've always felt most secure and most safe when I'm behind the controls of something that's bigger than myself. And I think that a big part of that ties back into my childhood journey. We can dive into the bullying or the abuse or the different challenges that I struggled with as a child. But when I started flying, it became very quickly apparent to me that the greater perspective that you gain by seeing seeing the world below you fall away. The astronauts call it the Overlook Effect. It's a moment where you recognize how infinitely small you are in the universe, and thus how small your problems are, and how small your challenges are, and how small your wins are, even. Just that depth of perception that really, I think, is super imperative for humans to do something that's bigger than themselves, and to start to kind of become the master of their own universe in that way. For me, flying was where I felt safest. It's where I felt most at home. I was born into an aviation family. My grandfather flew in World War II, and then in the 50s, he built a runway on his property, which is the property I was born on. I was born at home. So 100 yards from a runway, I come out. And three years later, I'm in the air. And uh, after that, I knew what I wanted for the rest of my life. I wanted to fly. I wanted to own airplanes. I discovered this, that ultralight's which are aircraft under 254 pounds, aren't technically aircraft, unless you don't have to be 16 years old to fly one. So I would think I was seven or eight years old. I was working in my grandparents' restaurant, and uh, I was like, I'm going to buy an ultralight. My grandfather, who is a world record holder for the first guy to do a barrel roll and a loop in a gyrocopter, I'll send you guys videos later, it's crazy, told me, don't buy one of those, it'll kill you. Mind you, he crashed his gyro 12 times during my lifetime, totaled it six times, lost his hand to it, but he said the ultralights were going to kill me. I did get an ultralight, so I got into flying, bought my first airplane kit when I was 13, and just quickly discovered that ADHD kids should build airplanes. It's just not in our DNA. And so I put it up for sale on this new thing called the internet. It's back in 1999. And I sold it. And the guy I bought it from was like, man, I got a bunch. If you want to help me sell them, I'll give you 10%. I said, make it 20. And that's how my first real company was born. Before that, I did things like Shine Shoes and Tour Guide. But that was my first real business. And that carried me along until I broke my back two weeks before my 18th birthday, test flying an airplane and took some time off of aviation to pursue safer hobbies. I'd never broken a bone before. And I got into motorcycle racing and surfing and proceeded to break over 30 bones in the next three years and went back to aviation where it was safer. (laughs) So there's your very long-winded answer to how I got involved in flying.
1: If I heard you right, you broke your back and you said, let me go to
2: motorcycle riding. Let me go to race cars.
1: And the, <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, in theory, it sounds safer. I've never been hurt on a track, knock on wood. I have had more than my fair share of accidents off track. Deals Gap in Tennessee, North Carolina uh, border. I crashed five times in one day. What
1: I find interesting, Eric, you and I had a conversation in Austin. We're at the dinner and I asked you, what are the feelings that you have when you're going through this? Is it an adrenaline rush? Is that the addiction? Is the addiction like, oh my God, I feel like this burst of energy every time I do it. And I thought your response was pretty unique. It doesn't matter how I remember it, but what would be your response to that now?
2: I don't get adrenaline rushes unless blue lights come on behind me. I very rarely do I get a hive from an action that I've done. There's some things with my wife you might bring up. But aside from that, I have a lot of energy, but my energy is pretty much level. I don't have these crazy high endorphin hits from skydiving or racing cars or anything. There are certainly times when you almost lose it, you get that. But my goal is never to have an adrenaline rush. I have plenty of friends who are adrenaline junkies. My little sister was the queen of them all. It still is. And she loves that boost, that rush. When I get the rush, I know I've done something wrong and I don't want to be that close to death. I was having a conversation earlier this morning with another front row dad, actually, and longer form, conversation than I'll bring up now, but I had the question asked to me recently, it said, do you value birthdays? And I've never had that question asked of me before. I just had my 37th birthday last month and I really do value birthdays. I don't care about a birthday party, you're getting gifts or anything like that. But I realized that I deeply care about birthdays because at this point, in a front of my dads, we have a saying, as you guys know, bonus time, which I think is the goofiest saying ever. But I feel like I'm living in bonus time. If you told me in my teens and 20s that I was going to live to my mid-late 30s, I would have thought you were crazy. Because I had so many experiences that were right at the edge of that adrenaline or that terror. And I don't like terror. I don't like adrenaline. I want to be calm and controlled. And I was sharing with some people recently. If you really knew me, you'd know that I'm the most risk adverse person on the planet. I look crazy as hell from the outside, but like I'm super cautious and very meticulous. I work my way up to things very slowly to make sure that I don't get that adrenaline rush because that adrenaline rush means I did something wrong.
0: It's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's different than a lot of other folks might interpret it from the outside. So I appreciate that. One of the things you kind of tied in there, and I love how you segue there with the businesses. When I first met you, we were sitting down and you were telling me, okay, hey, I have this successful business. I have this business. I have this business. I work about three hours a week. You strike me as somebody who understands business really intuitively. You have a lot of insights that can offer the audience. So how do you do it? How did you do it? Let's dig in on some of your best business stuff. And then I want to get to the personal stuff towards the end. But let's give the people some nuts and bolts tactics here. What are some of the best business things that you've learned along the way to not only be successful, be able to build these businesses and be financially free, but also to be able to free up your time? What would you say to that?
2: Obviously, there's many different directions we can take this. And I think that the first thing I want to say is to put a huge asterisk over my business success. And that's to say that there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that appears to be luck. You guys have read Good to Great. I think I see it on the shelf behind Mike there. But there's so much that appears to be lucky or appears to be right place, right time, whatever it may be. And there's a ton of stuff in business that I'm just terrible at. I think that one of the best things I can leave you with and the listeners with is if you're terrible at something, don't do it. You know, I had a conversation just this morning and the guy was like, man, I want to be a really good leader right now. I'm a great operator, but I want to be a visionary. And I was like, why? Great operators are the hardest thing in the world to find. It's the number one position I've hired for over and fired for because when it's not a perfect fit and it's really hard to find the right person. And sometimes it's just the right person for right now. Finding an operator is brilliant, but really, if you can focus on what you're strong at and then be willing to relinquish what you're not and understand that you don't have to do it all. The book, The E-Myth Deep Plate, was probably my first introduction to this over 25 years ago, this idea that we have all these different hats to wear, but if we can relinquish the hats... We can actually wear the one we want. There you go, see, Mike's got it, he knows. Actually, I have a copy up there also, right there. These different books that we can use to help us better refine who we are and where our sense of strength and power is are really crucial. And we're all in front row dads together, so we have this baseline, but the reality is we start with us first, if we can work on who we are to sit in presence with us, to overcome our fears, to look at our demons, and then to be who we're meant to be on the other side, that's where we can start to bring the value to our families. That's where we can start to bring our value to our businesses. Man, your question is so broad. I'm trying to decide. One of the lines I used to many lifetimes ago, I had an internet marketing business and I would speak on stage and sell courses and all these different things. And I think 15 or 16 years old when I did my first speech. And as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid who's six foot four and 120 pounds, you have to imagine that you kind of catalog any wins you get a good joke in you're gonna remember that joke for life well, i did all right i used to say out from stage that internet marketing is the only business in the world and it's not actually true it's the only business in the world we work 95 hours a week to make money while you sleep And that's the truth. As entrepreneurs, we have this incredible time freedom to choose the time. And I'm actually basing part of this answer on a conversation with you, Biggs. We have the incredible freedom of time to choose whatever 100 hours a week we want to work. And most people don't get that. If you haven't started a business, you're still on a W-2, understanding the amount of front-loaded work. Because the business I'm currently in, my primary business, Aviator Paramotor, that business was 60, 80, 100 hours a week for eight years. And then I started systemizing. Then I started hiring. Then I started finding the right people to fulfill the needs that were the things, first, the things I didn't enjoy doing, the things that I would cringe thinking about that I would come home and put off because I didn't want to do them. And then the pieces that weren't really driving the most value for dollar. If I could pay someone less than what I made to do this work, why not? But I think that there is a another element here, going back into the time element, is that there are a lot of schools of thought. I've been very blessed throughout my life to find mentors, to find people who I just thought were really brilliant and I wanted to latch onto them and bring them value in some way so that I could just download their brain. The first one was Chris Verhey. He was in Nampa, Idaho, and this guy was an options trader. He's still doing it. And Chris let me follow him around the country at 13, 14 years old and would just instill wisdom in the most infuriating ways, especially for someone like me who wanted to have all the information right away. On a three week trip, we'd go and visit drive in theaters and storage lots and impound yards. Everywhere we parked, he'd park in a tow zone trying to get towed so he could show me an impound lot. And I'm freaking out. I'm a goody two shoes homeschool Christian kid going, oh God, we can't park there. We oh no, there's a reason, there's a reason. So three weeks of this, pick apart lots, you name all these different places. At the end of three weeks, we're driving to the airport, he's like, Eric, you know what I taught you? I said, no, So I taught you the value of space. The same 10 foot by 10 foot section you could park a car in could be turned into a movie theater. And that movie theater can make $10 every two hours. Or you could turn it into a pick apart lot where you might make 500 bucks every two years. Or you could turn it into an impound lot where you're going to pay $300 an hour to get your car out because you need your car back. There's always different value in the amount of space. And this could be physical space or virtual space, etc. He had many other lessons, but one of the most important lessons he taught me was about time. He told a story, which is too long to get into, that the punchline is what's time to a pig. My wife and I still use this all the time because some people don't value their time the way they should. But to me, what the biggest takeaway was that wealthy people never have time. They choose to make it or not. I'm choosing to make the time to be with you guys right now because I deeply value who each of you are, and I want to be able to give of myself any way that I can. I chose to give my time to their front red dead this morning. I choose to be present with my kids this afternoon and make sure that they have time that I'm focused on them. My phone's not on my hand. There's no other task. Every night at 5 p.m., I walk out of my office, I step onto my deck with my wife. It doesn't matter if I've been working or playing video games, whatever I'm doing, but on my deck with my wife, we light a fire, we have a conversation, there's no technology. It's our time to be present, and we made that time. This is new. This is as of what since I guess November we started doing this. Guys, this practice is beautiful. The ability that my wife knows that at 4.59, my laptop's shutting and I'm walking out that door, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to be present with her for the next 90 minutes. And I didn't have the time to do this. I usually have a call that starts at 530 every night. It's a call with my friends playing video games, All right? This is not a serious call. But this was like part of my life for the last year and a half, two years. And I pushed that off. I made the time, I made the space. So I guess this long monologue to say that as that impacted me and a conversation that Andrew and I've had about this use of time as we're starting up businesses, which I just bought another business in December, which is a race series for airplanes. It's all about how quickly you can take off and how quickly you can land. It's called National Stole. I feel the the pressure of that startup phase. But instead of being controlled by it, I've learned for the first time, which I didn't have this three years ago, guys, this is a new development. I've figured out how to have boundaries that work. Holy crap, guys, it's a whole new world. Just think that the more you can look at time as something that you can control and that you're in charge of. I wish that someone had told me that sooner because it took me 20 years to learn the lesson I heard when I was 13, 14 years old.
1: I definitely am loving this because this is stuff that we talk about in our inside of better than rich inside of our community about boundaries and winning back your time to spend time on what matters most. So this is like everything that we talk about because Andrew, myself, most people that listen to the show have been inside their business, like you said, working those 60 to 100 hours a week, being overwhelmed, time-stretched entrepreneurs trying to, whether it be make ends meet or build something or create something or live their passion or it's, oh, I'm only going to do it for this season. And then the next thing shows up. and It's like, oh, no, 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 but I'm only going to do it for this next thing. And then the next thing shows up. And it's like, there's always the next thing. And I really love what you said about creating these boundaries and having this awareness in your mid to late thirties to make certain things non-negotiables. I did want to take it back to one thing you said about the operators and the roles and everything just for a moment. The first question that I have is you said after eight years of working 60 plus hours a week, you finally started hiring on some staff to win back your time. And I think there's some listeners that probably could relate to working 60 plus hours a week right now and are interested in who are the first people, who are the whos that I should start looking at to start winning back some of my time. If I've been at this grind mode or working inside the business for eight years, in your case, how did you start if I know it was a couple years ago, but maybe what would you say, whether it's like today's version of Eric, or it would be that version of Eric that was experiencing it, anything that you could draw from that, that could be helpful.
2: Yeah, I think the concept of who do you hire first is a big one. And there's a book called Who. It's a fantastic book about the hiring process and being able to really be clear, again, going back to good to great building seats and then finding the right people to fill those seats. But for me, the biggest challenge was figuring out what to put in the seats. And I'm going through this right now. I'm hiring a VA to help me with projects like this, where I'm talking to you guys and having preparations about I'm Mr. Dad and at home right now. So my wife's not here for 10 days. And they're not used to me being on calls. They're like, Dad, why are you working so much? We're not used to it. It's a whole new world, starting with who. So if you're trying to figure out who your most important hire is, it takes time. It takes time to sit down and write out what are the pieces of your business. And you have to be brave because a lot of times people are terrified to give up something that they do because they think that they do it best. And you do, you're going to do it best. But if you did it 95% as well, and you didn't have to do it anymore, would that be okay? Like if your company still did something 98% as good as what you were doing yourself, the customer is still happy. Hell, the customer is usually going to be happier for you, especially if it's a customer that cares about you because they want you to stay in business because they want you to continue on your Vision, your passion, your mission, right? We can get deeper into that because I think that every business needs to have a clear vision and core values. That's the number one cornerstone that everything's built. I'm not just business. I did this with my kids for this week. This week, I we have 10 days with them alone. The first thing we did, with mom got in an Uber to go to the airport. We walked inside, we sat around the dining room, and we sat down and wrote out what are our core values for the week? What are the things we want to have happen? And what do we not want to have happen every day? If it was not on this call right now. I'd open the door and go, hey guys, are you guys living the core values right now? And they go, no because they know because they have this vision that's pushed it up on the kitchen fridge. They know what this week's gonna look like. They designed it, they bought into it. So back to hiring. The first thing I always ask is what am I doing that's not a good use of my time? For me, it was email. Dude, I was getting 150, 200 emails a day and 150, 200 emails a day, 50% of which were the same five questions. Very simple. The next question is, what is it that annoys me that I do every day? Which was also my email, right? Then I ask, what is it that I want to be doing that I can't get to because there's other stuff piling up on top of me? And where can I add more unique value if I had my time free? And I ask my employees these questions. I ask them these questions every month. What are you not getting to that you want to? Where can you bring more value? What is annoying you? Because if your employees are annoyed, they're not going to stay with the company, right? If your employees are doing things that aren't a good value, like a good use of their time, they're not going to stay with the company. They're going to leave. doesn't matter how great your vision is if you're not utilizing your people. So finding those elements, and it took me a long time. And I think a big part of the reason why it took me a long time and it's still taking me a long time is because I have massive imposter syndrome. I don't feel like I should ask someone else to do things for me. Even though I'd be paying them and I'm making their life better, it's hard for me to accept the help. It's really a struggle for me. And it's a struggle that many of us experience. When you can get past that and you can start to have these people who you realize, I think we're at 24 employees at Aviator right now. And that means 24 different families are getting to eat because of my passion, because it's something I believed in, and the vision and the mission. It means that the number of people we're impacting in 2018, we had four employees with almost the same revenue we have now. We've grown, but only 20%. But we went from training 66 people how to fly, which our big belief at Aviator is that we believe that when you learn to fly, it helps make you a better person because it shifts your perspective and it helps you overcome your fears. It allows you to have to do something superhuman. So it allows you to take back that shift into perspective back to your families and become the better person for who you should be in the rest of your life. It's not just a goofy thing that you fly a butt fan around. That's actually valuable, right? So now instead of 66 students a year, we're going to train about 300 this year. And we're looking at more acquisitions to be able to increase that number to our goal of a thousand. It's neat because it's terrifying to let go of things, but once you can, you're Your vision can become what you actually wanted it to be. I had a big vision of training 5,000 people a year, and there was no steps to get there until I hired the right people to actually let us scale.
0: Well, I love this, man. I mean, basically, everything you're talking about is a lot of what we teach. And it's funny because I was like, Hey, this is what we teach. You're like, I'm the result of everything that you teach. I can be your success story without having to go through and going through your program because you basically followed our program without being a client, but you did everything that we teach our clients to do. And so, if you're listening and you're either a client or you want to be a client, Eric is your muse where you want to be heading, just loving life, enjoying himself. We were on a call the other day with a group of guys, and one guy's Yeah, I'm having a birthday party in Salt Lake and Eric's literally looking up flights. And he's like, oh, I'll come out. It's like, why not? He's just enjoying himself. So I just love that about you, man. And these questions around like, hey, what am I doing that's not worth my time? What annoys me? What could I be getting to that I'm not because I'm focused on these things? These are core foundational things that you need to be doing. Listener, if you're not doing that, you're going to always be stuck making $50, $100, something like that an hour, which, hey, you can probably make hundred grand doing that, but if you want to make more and really experience that time of financial freedom, like someone like Eric has given himself, you got to upgrade your problems. This has been really fun. One of the things I love about you, man, is you have kind of a jack of all trades. and
2: An idiot savant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. But it's like, I think that you have this sort of like hardcore business knowledge, but you also have this softer side, right? And you have this side that you mentioned earlier where, hey, I had to do a lot of personal reflection. I had to look in the mirror. I had to ask myself, what demons do I have, right? That need to be exercised. And feel free to share whatever direction you want to take this. But what are some of those personal things and how you've grown as an individual, as you self-actualize, how you've grown as a father, how you've grown as a husband that have been really meaningful to
2: you, that have turned you into a better person and probably a more fulfilled person? Oh man, there's so many elements of this. The first step I took, which is makes it easy. I tell everybody, if you don't have a therapist, stop going to church if that's what you do every Sunday. Go to a therapist every Sunday. Start working on your inner self. Don't actually stop going to church. I'm not here to tell you what to do with your religious life, all right? But there's so much value in diving deeper into who you are as a person and what's going on with you. Talk therapy is a great way to start. And if you think you had a perfect childhood and you have nothing to talk about, cool. Good for you. That's the perfect time to start. Get a perfect marriage, no issues, perfect time to start. If you have anything going on that is a challenge, perfect time to start. That journey of self-discovery and self-reflection, I didn't have the money for it. I didn't have the time for it. I was working these crazy hours when we started down that journey of trying to understand ourselves and our marriage better. But it set me on a course that will lead me to far more success, true success that I know in my heart is real success, more than dollars is ever worth. And what comes from that, guys, when you live a life that you feel successful in, like when I leave my life feeling successful, not monetarily, but just my kids want to hang out with me. My wife likes to be with me. I have friends that I want to hang out with that want to hang out with me. I have a business that's doing something that is a passion and a vision of mine. Like Success isn't all about money. Success is so much deeper into how you feel about yourself. And that's not to say you should be a sociopathic narcissist and think that you're awesome. I think I'm a piece of shit. 98% of the time, I make terrible decisions and I've done terrible things and I have so much to learn. But... I'm blessed beyond measure because for me, success is spending time with my kids, being present with myself, being present with my wife, and going on adventuring together. We took a month off to go to Alaska this past summer. I didn't reply to emails, I didn't answer phone calls, I didn't have to. I got to build a business that works for me. I came home from that trip and I turned to my COO and I said, "Hey, I want you to be CEO, and I want us to, our first act to be: We already have unlimited time off. I want to make every employee take a month off of work a year in a block because then you can build systems around what they do. Because if you have any employee leave for a month, I mean, anyone listening. Listen to this. If you have a business, there's one person in your business right now that you're thinking about. They go, oh my God, if they take off for a month, we're doomed, right? (laughs) It might be yourself. It might be your secretary. If there's always one person, there's one person in my business that takes a month off. I'd be doomed. That was me too. So guess what? Okay, let's face our fears. Let's overcome them. Let's say, okay, guess what? Office manager, you get June off. You can't come to the office. You can't reply to emails. You can't ask your calls. We'll call you once a week with an update if you want us to. And we'll give you a list of questions that we have in that amount of time. But until then, we need everything SOP'd. I want to have a VA over your shoulder on your computer, watching everything you do and taking notes and building SOPs. If they can build a standard operating procedure for everything you do, not because I want to replace you, not because your job is in jeopardy. Hell, I want to give you a 50% raise every year if I could. That gets the goal. But it just creates so much more cohesion and peace. Going back to the personal side, get a therapist, awesome first step. I'm the biggest evangelist for therapy in the world. I never thought I'd ever say that. If you'd ask 10 years younger version of Eric, I'd be like, oh no, hell no, we're great. And then start finding mentors. I'm a huge fan of mentorship of people out there, people like Preston Smiles, people like Luke Gifford, people who I look at and I go, okay, these are people I want to emulate. I want to be more like them. Meditation has been a huge part of the factor for me. And I know that most people who are entrepreneurs, we all carry the ADHD gene pretty hard. And for my entire childhood, I can't tell you the number of times I was told this exact sentence, Eric, you need more self-control. But no one ever told me what it was. And I remember my first meditation retreat, we're sitting, we're breathing, we're following the leader. And after about five minutes, and he turns, he says, gentlemen, what you're experiencing is self-control. And I went, what? This is what it is. Oh my God, just breathing, being aware, being present. And like, you're right, this is self-control. No one told me what it was except that I needed it. And now I have a tool that I can get back into that moment. 20 minutes ago, I'm walking through and I see my kid's room's a mess and my son wants to play video games. I'm like, hey, buddy, your room's a mess. You had to have your room clean before you play video games. He's losing his mind. And he's a strong young man and he's sharp and he knows what he has to have done. And my brain goes to fight or flight. Like I want to just, dude, what the hell? You know what you're supposed to do. But instead I stopped, my hand on my head, a hand on my heart. I just stood in the hallway and watched him lose his mind and breathed. And 40 seconds later, he calmed down and he expressed why he was actually upset, what the deeper meaning was behind it. We talked through it. I didn't have that skill. I didn't have that tool in my toolbox. That personal journey doesn't have to start when you're wealthy. It doesn't start when you're poor. If you take the time to be introspective and to really do the work now, no matter where you are in life, it's better. And like to make it very clear that I still don't have it all together. And Andrew, you know, this as a bandmate, part of my biggest challenge is my health because of my pain. It's really hard for me to get in shape that would help my pain reduce 10 days. My wife's out of town, again, creating new constructs. She's not here. So I don't have to validate with her. I don't have to embarrass myself if I don't follow through, right? So it's an opportunity for me to create new trends and new patterns. This week, I'm working out every single day. I'm in so much pain physically right now. (laughs) It's ridiculous, but I'm working out every day and I look stupid doing it. I'm sweating after five minutes of pushups and sit-ups, but I'm showing up for it. Still doing the work. I'm on day two and I haven't missed a workout yet, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I really appreciate the answer, man. And I also just want to honor and appreciate you for the humility that you bring. It's admirable because for someone to be as successful as you are on paper, so to speak, but to also be humble, I think it's kind of a rare combination. So I just want to reflect that back to you. So thanks for you know being so humble.
2: I hope it's not a rare combination. <laughs> I'll say this, honestly, I think the biggest thing for me is I don't feel like I did anything special I feel like I've been lucky and I've been willing to do the work. And now if there's ways I can give back to try to help inspire the next man to come along to do the same or next woman, whatever, to be able to come along and and create something that's worth writing a vision for and then launch into the world, because I truly believe that for-profit businesses can do more to change the world faster than any nonprofit or any government. Lord knows, right? We can do more to shift what people want, to shift what people need, and then to bring it to fruition because we're lean, mean, efficient machines, right? Absolutely.
0: We have to be, right? Whereas the government doesn't have to be. This is from, I think it was the airplanes, right? Didn't Roosevelt spend a bunch of money on trying to get pre planes? And then it's two brothers out of their garage in North Carolina who actually figure it out on a shoestring budget. That's just a funny little wrinkle to the story, right? Mike, I'm curious what's coming up for you while questions are arising.
1: I just want to acknowledge, Eric, because I remember our first episode that we recorded on the show. The title is What I Learned by Investing in Myself. And it was a lot of rants on personal growth and things that I learned through the journey of self-development and meditation and the different voices in my head, labeling those voices and feeding the truth and the sage voice and starving those insecure voices and the meditation practice and the breath work and self-care and the fitness. So it's just really refreshing to hear you bring some of that into this conversation, because I think oftentimes it's overlooked in business. I think some people think business success or financial success comes from things in the outside world. And what you're saying is, yes, there's a yes end. Yes. And it also stems in the inside world. And if some people aren't willing to do the work on the inside world, then it's not going to show up in their finances or in their relationships or in their businesses.
2: You can find success without doing the work, but you'll never find happiness.
1: That's a good point. It's like, what do you define success as? How is success measured? Success is success measured by fulfillment. Is success measured by possessions? How do you measure that? And I guess that's a good question for you. Like, how did you measure success at 25? And how did you measure success at 35? And then how do you think you're going to measure success at 45?
2: Ooh, great question. Success at 25 was making enough passively where I didn't have to be directly involved to be with my kids. Success now is the same. So I've achieved it to an extent. I give up some of that by buying another business because I believe in the vision of that business. I believe in the mission of that business. That's on me. I know that I'm going to give up some of that success this year in order to launch a new business and launch the new baby. But the barometer doesn't go away. It doesn't matter if you're making 50000 or $5 million, There's still wants, there's still desires, there's still drive. And I think it's important to have, even if it's not things, it's directly time with your kids, adventures, et cetera, et cetera. I think that it's very important to have a very clear line. And it's really hard to measure time with your kids. How many of you guys have a calendar that shows the hours of the day that you're going to spend focusing on your kids without your phone in your hand? Nobody does that, right? Maybe Elon. Uh, You never know. But the reality is that we use different objects as barometers that try to move us forward. I've told this story recently. Five years, I had a Challenge coin on my desk that has a Piper Cub on it. It's a nice little old airplane, little yellow airplanes that when you think of an airplane it's either a Cessna or a Piper Cub, or it's 747, there's basically no one in between. It was iconic, it's an airplane I wanted to fly in. I loved them, I always wanted one, couldn't afford it. My company was, after five years, we had our first profitable year, I uh, made $31,000. and got audited by the IRS because they're like, how are you spending so much money and not making any profit? And after I had the conversation with the auditor, he's like, why do you do this? You didn't pay yourself anything. You you made $31,000 and I didn't get you on anything except you didn't log your miles in your company vehicle. Why do you do this? I'm like, I do it because I love it. I do it because I believe in it. I said, did you always want to be an IRS auditor? He's like, no, I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> I was like, really? And you became an auditor? But that little coin on my desk was a reminder of the success I wanted someday. And then one year I bought it. And then I actually ended up having to trade it for a building that we're in now, one of our buildings. And it was really ironic. I Like losing, I didn't care. Once I got it, I didn't care about it anymore. And it was fine. Now I have an ornament my wife bought me. as a Pilatus PC-12 that sits on the shelf behind me here that I see every day. And that's the first one was a $20,000 airplane. And this is a $4.5 million airplane. The barometer has changed. It's moved. But there's still a drive for more success. And I think that's healthy. I think it's important to have things. Like, dude, the brakes on a PC 12 cost $35,000. There's no reason for me to own one of those right now, but it's good to have a dream. It's good to have a focus and look to the future because even though I have the success I want on my personal life and my connection with my children and my wife, I gotta keep driving further forward. That's why I do the consulting I do. I love consulting for equity because it allows me to look from the outside in. When you get so involved in your company, it becomes very challenging to look at the larger picture of things you might be missing. And if I sit on a board of a small company company I can take 25 years of business experience that I have in these really eclectic different businesses and be able to pinpoint areas, hey, have you guys thought about blank? And it's amazing the conversations that come out of them. They're going, oh my god, I never even considered it. I'm like, well, that's $10 million a year that we just left on the table because we didn't consider it. It's the stupid little things. Every time that anything gets posted on Front road ads that could be an affiliate link, Front road ad should have that turned into an affiliate link. They should have a VA going out there just turning them all into affiliate links so they can make their 3%. These little tiny tweaks that we can make that can generate more revenue. When I started my business at Aviator, I never had the expectation that it would be a business worth selling. I thought I was building something that I was deeply passionate about that was going to change people's lives, but I never considered it as do I go out for investment or do I sell? No, I bootstrapped the heck out of it. I didn't want debt. I didn't ever take on debt in that business until many years later because I wanted to build it for me. But what I've realized now as a parent and a husband is that we can build generational wealth in tiny niche businesses. Because some of these businesses are getting bought up by private equity for numbers that are insane. Multipliers, 8, 10, 12, 15 time multipliers. And all of a sudden you realize you're building a legacy of money. Something you could turn around and for me, it's always 10,000 acres. If I could turn around and buy 10,000 acres with whatever the money is, that's real money. And so it's really interesting. I mean, this podcast could be sold at some point. If you continue to build it to sell in a way that is focused on systems, just like every other business you guys are running, it's really powerful. Because not only the impact that you're making on the customers that you have, the employees that you have, but then on the lifelong impact that you can create by building it to a point that it could be sold, totally shifted my perspective and re-challenged me that when I do this consulting, I'm like, man, I, I want to help every one of these companies get sold for $100 million. Not just because I have a half of 1% or 2% of this business, but because a lot of them can be. A lot of them can be scaled at a much grander level because people aren't thinking of this bigger picture of how do we sell it. They're thinking of, oh, my gosh, I have this client who has this need, and I have this appointment, and I have these meetings. And it's just you're so in the minutia of being in the business, you can't work on the business. And so that's one of my passions.
0: I love it. And this is what I mean by listener, you getting a chance to experience Eric that he just has so much to offer in all these different ways. To your point earlier, it's like most businesses aren't in a position to be sold even if they wanted to, right? Because ultimately, a lot of times there's so much tribal knowledge for the founding team is really providing most of the value. Right now, our business is in a position to sell. But the way we're thinking is how do we create it such that essentially, this isn't the Andrew and Mike show, this is the Better Than Rich show, right? There's a reason we didn't brand it as the Andrew Biggs and Micah Bromwich show. And there's the reason why our company has is structured the way it is. And if you build SOPs, you actually can relieve yourself eventually when it's appropriate. This is really, again, right under the nose of what we love to talk about. I'm curious with your consulting work, I'm not really sure exactly how it works, but what are some of the biggest problems that you like to solve specifically in your consulting? And what are some things that you've learned from that?
2: The first is usually most companies have core values on their wall, but they don't reflect who they are or where they're going to the truest point. And I give an exercise because it's really easy. The best exercise I've ever learned for creating core values in a business works for your family and for yourself as well. And that's simply you take a look at, it depends on the scale of the company, it changes the question. But if you take a look at the five people you fired that were the worst employees you've ever had, tell me their core values. And they tell you stories, oh, this person was late, this person didn't care about other people's time, this person didn't get the deliverables done this person really was toxic and they messed this up and they messed that up and you start to hear these stories and you write them down and then you reverse them because whatever those toxicity was that was in this person that you removed from your company the antithesis of that is who your company needs to be what your company is about so we look at the negative you know i had this conversation with my kids this week we're doing legato's system for core values for our family rich christensen's phenomenal guy and for me instead of asking who we are i ask who we aren't And my kids come back to me. we aren't cruel we aren't mean, we aren't evil. Okay, these are great things. I'm taking notes. What is we can distill all those down into we're not bad. Okay, so that means we're good. Okay, how can we put that into a core value, right? It allows us to distill this in a way that really helps create direction. Because once you have the core values solidified, the next step is always to look at the vision, be practical and reasonable. It's good to have a BHAG and have all these ideas, I'll make $100 billion. Okay, that's fine. But let's be reasonable. And let's set really clear markers on a three month, six month, 12 month, 18, 24, five year goals. And then helping keep them aligned with it and trying to look for areas that they're going to be blind to because they're working so hard in their business with the annoying client, with the employee problem, with the whatever it is. We all have the same problems. And then sometimes it's helping them remember that they have to have the balls to follow their vision.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say there's no need to be politically correct on the show.
2: You're good. Just let it fly. But no, because I mean, we get so emotionally invested in our people. I was at a room of 700 entrepreneurs and EO events DC two years ago, and a gentleman stood up on stage and he asked every CEO. He said, "How many of you guys have ever fired someone too soon?" And not one hand was raised. But it's really hard to remember. And when you have someone like me behind you, let's say you guys have 10 employees and we decide to work together. And I was like, hey, happy to help. And here's how it's going to work. And we meet every month. And basically it's a board meeting. We just, you update me on what's happening. I update you on what my experiences are in those areas. And you mentioned the same employee for three months. Three months, you talked about your frustrations. My barometer is always, if I go home from the office and the first thing I mentioned to my wife is this person that's annoying me or there's a problem with, it's already gone too far. Fire them. They're gone. If it's coming in between my relationship with my wife, it's already gone too far. And the number of times that I've failed at this is embarrassing. <laughs> so I look at my failures and I just try to find ways to help other people not make the same mistakes.
1: That's a pretty good one. I'm like thinking back to how many people I've let go or stopped working with or they left. And I'm like, yeah, they were the ones I talked to my wife about, and the ones that I rarely talked to my wife about, those were usually uh, really good people. So that's an actually
2: pretty good little nugget there. Honestly, for you guys, because of the business that you're in, this is as valid for customers as it is for employees. Because the moment you have a bad customer, you're going to pour 10 times more energy into a bad customer than you are a good one. And it's going to rattle around in your brain and keep you from sleeping. And it's going to be the thing that's a pain point. I've had customers that were financially really great customers for us that became very toxic. And I write them an email and I'm like, here's your $23,000 back. And they're like, "Uh." and it just deflates the situation. Now I don't ever have to talk to them again. I don't have to think about them anymore. I know I did the right thing. There's no question. I gave them everything they gave me, plus everything I did for them, okay. Hi. It reminds me of the Bronx Tale. Sonny is Sonny's like, how much
1: does that guy owe you? And he's like, hundred bucks, man. It's like, cool. You got him out of your life for a hundred dollars. You never have to talk to them again.
0: It's so true, and you can almost start to make the mistake of like catering your business to the problem children. And it's like, wait, ten percent of my five percent, one percent of my clients need this, and I'm going to go create it. No, why don't I focus on the ninety, the ninety-five, the ninety-nine percent who actually want what I'm already offering and are super happy? And what are their needs? Instead of trying to chase after this person. Because the thing is, there's some people who they're just never going to be happy no matter what. You can bend over
2: backwards. And it's not our job. It's not our job. As much as we want to make it our job because we feel like we have something to bring to the world, the more we try to do, the harder it becomes and the less they actually gain value, the less we gain value. It's a lose-lose, whether it's an employee or a client.
1: I know you mentioned very quickly before we head for our three questions in the exit, you mentioned EO. Uh, I know this is something that you're over in not too far from me in Tampa, over in the Lakeland area. And we had a quick conversation about entrepreneurship organization. And I know you mentioned this event that you went to. How has EO played a part in your life and as a business owner? If it would EO, be EO, I know it's like they have the requirements. You got to be at what? A certain benchmark million dollar net worth or something like that. You got to prove or $10 million business.
2: Yeah, million dollars in annual revenue minimum is for most chapters, some chapters it's higher. I've heard that Mumbai is 20 million or something. I don't know, but there's some big businesses in India. It makes sense. Yeah, what has been like, the benefit you're surrounding yourself around everyone who's made has
1: at least a million dollar revenue annual revenue for their business why would you want to surround yourself around those people obviously it's a pretty simple question but like some people might say i got to pay just to make friends with these people right i got to pay to join or pay to play or anything like that some people are like no i just figured it out on my own i don't want to pay this much money or thousands of dollars a year to go learn from some other people what would you say to that person
2: Man, I brought up mentors multiple times. I have a mentor who is doing close to a billion dollars in revenue, and he told me that the single biggest reason for his success was EO. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have someone in my life that's doing almost a billion dollars in revenue, tell me that this one thing was the single biggest reason for their success. I didn't even do any research. I did nothing. I went to EO's website, and I found a local chapter, and I applied, and I didn't hear back from them for three months so I harassed them. I need to join EO. I've been told this is the best thing. It's $6,000 or $8,000. I'm in. I'm sold. Let's do it. And I get to my first event. And they bring me up to the front of the room. It's a big theater. They had the woman who sang for in Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. We came and do did a private concert for us. And before she sings, they brought us into the room and they're like, hey, this is Eric. He lives in Lake Wales, Florida. Here's this guy. He just joined EO. He's their newest member. Eric, why'd you join EO? I don't really know. Can you guys tell me what EO is? And everyone lost it. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, I really don't know what this is about. I have no idea. And what it, comes, it turns about is EO is a great place to collect like-minded people who have similar amounts of experience. And the reason why they have a paywall as far as $1 million dollars minimum revenue per year is because they have what's called Forum. And in Forum, it's a small group, anywhere from four to eight members, generally. And in Forum, we don't ever speak with advice. Because everyone else in that room makes at least as much money as you, has at least as much experience as you, and they can figure it out. So we respect each other enough to not offer advice. And Front Row Dads has bands, and it's the same idea. It's the same idea of we're not going to offer advice because we're not here to coach you. We think you're smart enough to figure this out. So if you have a problem, Biggs would to come to me with a problem. I would never say, hey, here's what you should do. I could say, hey, here's a lo- scenario in my life that was similar. And here's how I did it. Not you should. The moment you go, beca- go to a you should, you're taking away that person's power. And so EO for me has been really instrumental in a lot of ways. It's really helped guide. I say it saved my business, and my marriage at least once or twice. But I think really what the power of it has been the people that have helped me to better understand myself and help drive me forward, hold me accountable. And I've loved it. With that said, as much as I love EO, front- dads is quickly becoming an even greater value because everyone's so much clearer in alignment and there are some things missing i think that front row dads right now you don't even have to have a business to be in you can be wanting to start a business and that's fine there's room for that myself and another member are actually going to be working to try to help inspire those men and help them solve their problems to start businesses but the reality is once you're aligned there's six pillars in front row dads and if you're aligned the value of those six pillars you and i are going to be friends period and so that's what i found over the last three months in particular. My day is full of hanging out with front row dads. If I'm on a meeting, it's probably a front row dad. And EO has become less and less. I used to have to run over to Tampa, hop on my airplane, fly to Tampa multiple times a month. And now it's like, oh, I'll see my forum. Just went to Cuba with my forum. We had a great time. But that's enough. It's just changed my perspective. But I think that having those groups of people to help challenge and inspire us is incredible. I think that if you guys are eligible for front row dads, join. If you're eligible for EO, join Vistage, join YPO, join. If you're in YPO, you hit my goal point. That one's what, fifteen point six million dollars in revenue a year or something like that. And under 45 years of age. It's a little more elite, but it's pretty cool. It's neat to have those goals for ourselves too.
1: All I heard was you took a flight from Lakeland to Tampa and that's like a 45 minute drive. And oh, that's pretty amazing.
2: No. So this is actually a cool thing. So I live in Lake Wales, which is 40 minutes East of Lakeland. And for me to get to downtown Tampa, it's an hour to an hour and a half right it took me two hours last week took my son for a band for a board meeting and i can get from my house to davis island airport and then i can hop on my one wheel and ride to town it takes me my fastest trip was 11 minutes oh nice good job and i get 26 miles to the gallon at 180 miles an hour it's actually cheaper to fly than it is to drive <laughs> and there's no toll roads it's great <laughs> That's awesome. and before you think i'm rich that airplane costs half of what my truck costs
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you probably have a whole collection and you're working on all these things and i think it's really cool. And I think EO, I don't know as much about it, obviously, but I remember my old CEO back in India, he was in it. And you might even know him. Do you know something, Shahani, or no? I don't think I do. The name's familiar. Maybe. He just had a massive exit out of it and sold the company, but yeah, he's a good dude for sure. So hey, we always ask our guests three questions on every single podcast. I'd like to ask those questions of you. The first one is... What do you think the world needs most right
2: now? Gotta love ending on deep, heavy questions that I give you crap for not giving me time to prepare, but you gave me the questions then asked me to talk about other things for an hour. So you gave me no time to prepare. What does the world need more of? My initial gut is gratitude. I think that when we live in a place of gratitude, we live outside of fear. And when we live outside of fear, Mm -hmm. we can live in a place that we're fully living in faith and in love and in a place that allows us to better see why we're here. And you can find gratitude in every moment. It takes practice. It takes work. But if you can find the gratitude in the moment, you can find gratitude in the lesson. A lot of my life sounds really storied and great. I've experienced so much loss in my life from friends. My brother passed away a few years ago. My little sister just became a quadriplegic in 2021. The number of elements that would pull me out of gratitude are insane. But I want to sit in gratitude so I can be who I'm supposed to be. So, I think if we could start there, that might be a good thing to do.
1: It was powerful when you shared the story about your sister and how she's responded to that and a testament to her and just you and your whole family and everything that you shared at our dinner in Austin. So, our second question that we like to ask is what are one to three books that you think people should read?
2: Psychology of Money is phenomenal, fantastic book. I've read it twice, three times. It's quick, succinct, high quality to sell. Another great book, short, quick, sweet read that really helps fill you define your offer so that you can plan for the future. And then I had written down good to great, but I think that I would go with The Happiness Advantage, especially as parents. The Happiness Advantage is a fantastic book that kind of drives deep into the idea that we can shift results simply by creating a little bit of happiness ahead of time. Really interesting book. Fantastic. And the final question is, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? To be healthy, connected with my family, and in love with my wife that is the key of all of it if you take away everything else you take away every penny every employee every thing i've done every book i've written it doesn't matter i'm healthy and connected with my family that's all i need
1: hey
0: thank you so much i
1: know the book farewell to normal it's on amazon the transformational guide to adventure excitement and personal happiness is would you recommend just going directly to amazon or is there anywhere else that you recommend if people want to stay in touch or grab your book or anything learn more from you.
2: Yeah, check out Farewell to Normal on Amazon. It's a book that was written and it was finished in 2020. It's kind of drive, drives through some of the lessons I've learned along my crazy adventures and different ways that I guess my life got here. I wrote that book in protest and my publisher told me I probably had five books in me at this point. I think I have a list of around 30 to write and no desire to do so. I don't want to do the work, but I'd be honored if people read it and they let me know what they think. My contact information's in the book, but uh, you can also find me just everywhere. Eric Farewell, E-R-A-C-F-A-R-E-W-E-L-L. I think I'm the only one in the world world with that name. So pretty easy to reach. And I'm happy to have conversations with anybody I can. I try to do one meeting a day so that I can honor my wife and my kids. But if you reach out, I will make time for you.
0: Fantastic. It's been so much fun, Eric. Thank you so much. Maybe ChatGPT can help you with those 30 books. Let's we'll see what we can do there. But hey, man, this was super fun. We really appreciate it. I know I got a lot of value. I'm sure, Mike, you did as well. Thank you both for your time. And listener, thanks for your time as well. And assuming that this episode has helped you, it's your turn to help others by sharing this with a friend. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on Apple and Spotify. And remember to leave today better than you found it. Until next week, We'll see you then.
1: Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at betterthan__rich and join our Facebook group at The Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.